0: Hello there, my name is Miles Jupp, and I'm just interrupting you as you listen to whatever it is that you actually want to listen to, to tell you about the second series of Middle Please Umpire. Middle Please Umpire is a podcast that I, Miles Jupp, if you weren't concentrating when I first introduced myself only moments ago, that's not a criticism, your thoughts are your own and you must focus them wheresoever you yourself choose, host with Mark Wood, the 95 mile an hour bowling, England playing, World Cup winning Northumberland hailing cricket lunatic Mark Wood. It's another series of episodes of the two of us talking about cricket and indeed any other stuff that springs to mind both with each other and also with a succession of frankly illustrious guests. We lift the lid on Mark's life as an international sportsman, basically he spends a lot of time icing himself, and take you on a whistle-stop journey through the windmills of his mind. I, a mere fan, listener, gog, giggle excitedly and try and draw comparisons with my own rather more mundane existence. All episodes of Middle Please Umpire are available right now from your favourite podcast providers.
2: Hello and welcome to Footballistically Arsenal, I'm Boyd Hilton, uh, Psychic Josh Landy is here as usual, hi Josh. Hi Boyd. Um, this is a very special episode of our podcast which we've been, we've been doing for what, eight, nine years now, something like that, I can't remember. Um, we've had all kinds of guests, we've had footballers, Nigel Winterburn, Paul Davis, Perry Rose, we've had... Celebrities: Matt Lucas, Romo Shrank, Nathan Alex Brooker, Dom O'Leary regularly, and we even had um, the Speaker of the House of Commons, John Burko, a couple of years ago. And we went to the House of Commons to interview him. But I think this beats all of those, Josh. I think this. Our guest today. This is the new peak. Don't tell John Burko that. <laughs> <laughs> that is the voice of the official leader of the opposition, the leader of the Labour Party, Keir Starmer. Welcome. Oh, I'm very, very pleased to be here. Thanks for having me. It's a pleasure. Now we should say that we've been, we've been in negotiations. Like my people, me and your people have been talking about getting you on for a while because you are, according to the New Statesman, you are a lifelong football fan. And in fact, the quote is, "If he has a hinterland, it is football." They said. <laughs> right which was nice but particularly Arsenal you're a lifelong Arsenal fan so I mean we're just up for talking to anyone who's a lifelong Arsenal fan particularly if they're quite famous and powerful but also this football what's happened this week we have to admit with the ludicrous farrago as I'm calling it of the European Super League is kind of the topical reason to have you on as well isn't it
3: yeah no look, I'm really really pleased to be on um, as for lifelong um, fan and I mean I'm I had the football buzz ever since I've been able to kick a ball. Um, And if you can believe it, um, I'm still playing football every week um, uh, myself. I'm in my head, obviously, playing very, very well. On the pitch, uh, not quite so much. Um, But, uh, yeah, so I've been playing every week since I was about 10 years old. So completely running through the blood. And obviously, um, as it would be for any fan, this week has been a really, really rough um, week. I mean, a good outcome, but... Yeah, Um, yeah. a really, really rough week, I think, for all fans um, being sort of disregarded and disrespected with this idea of a sort of cartel breaking away. Well, just
2: uh, let's start with that then, because what was your, when this news broke? Sunday, it was Sunday, wasn't it? They were kind of like, it was bubbling throughout the day. um, And then it kind of all arrived officially. This, these ludicrous statements, including from Arsenal, were, were, were put up. What was your reaction Do you, did, Was your reaction as an Arsenal fan? Were you thinking, first of all, oh, my God, why is Arsenal involved in this thing? Or were you
3: thinking the bigger picture as the important politician you are? Well, let, let's have a bit of honesty. Since since all the game, the semi-games are on in lockdown, um, I always try to sneak watching bits of games on a Sunday if I can or whoever's playing. So I first started getting my head about around this when I, when I saw Gary Neville um, do his piece that so many people seen now. But I was, at, we had the television on because I was watching bits of the bobs of the games. Um, and so I actually saw that. Um, and he spoke really, really powerfully, obviously, um, about what was going on. And a bit of me thought, this is never going to happen. Um, this, is, this is just talk. Um, there's been various proposals like this kicking about. They never really go anywhere. They wouldn't really do this kind of thing. And then, I suppose, overnight and into the next morning, I began to realise, actually, this is for real. and started asking people I know, um, a a fellow I know is a a sports journalist, and so I had a word with him. And he said, look here, I think it is actually for real. Um, I think they might do it. It's more advanced than you think. And it's at that... So I suppose on the Sunday night, I thought, I'm not sure this is going to happen. By Monday, I thought, actually, uh, this could happen. And then, during the course of Monday you know, fans from all different clubs um, started to speak out um, in relation to it. Um, And, yeah, I was really upset that Arsenal would do this. Um, And, you know, I've got a season ticket at Arsenal. And, and, you you know, amongst the things I love doing, we've got a routine. I go with my... Boy, we've got mates that we meet. This is what people do. It's it we go, we meet for a pint and a pizza beforehand. We all walk down together. There's all the banter, the score predictions, who's doing all of that is one of the favorite experiences of my life. And we can from our place, we can walk to the ground. It is brilliant. And and all through the lockdown, I've been saying, I've really, you know, the day we can go back to watch a live game, it will be a fantastic day. And then I, you know, on the Monday I started thinking, do I really want to go watch this? um arsenal playing in some super league Um, and so there was why is my club doing and the realization that i didn't really want to be part of that and I, i think a lot of people went through that emotion and i'm really pleased that so many people spoke out because you know it's very rare that um there's a wall of opposition like that particularly from fans and it's listened to I mean, my past experience of this has been fans speaking out and actually it doesn't make much difference at the end of the day. So um, there's, there's good that's come out at the end of it, but um, it was a pretty rough ride, I think, for, 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 for fans across the whole country, across the world. Uh, Kia Boyd and I did a
1: podcast on Monday, and we felt very similarly to you. We're thinking about the fact that we like to go see our friends, that we go to the stadium. It's that tradition. It's with you know people that we we know and perhaps only see when we go. To Arsenal. So we, we felt very similarly, just, just on a more general level, you've been an Arsenal fan, you know, a life you spoke about playing football every week since you were 10. What have you made of that transition of Arsenal from being the club they were when, when you were younger to now being run by a, a pretty much absent American billionaire billionaire owner who doesn't really have any engagement with, with the club. So how do you feel about that just as a fan, but then also as a leading political figure?
3: Yeah I mean it's it's been a journey hasn't it I mean I I started going to watch Arsenal regularly when I started living in North London in the sort of mid 80s late 80s so you had the whole you know um Dixon Adams Rocky Roadcastle of course you know these fantastic big names um and we were standing then and they that were just they were, that was just such a brilliant backbone of a team and then through to the Invincibles obviously and you know And and still, like every single Arsenal fan, whoever's top of the league any year, I just want them to lose one game so they never, ever take that away from us. So we've got that huge, proud history. And then, um, and Wenger was fantastic, but, you know, the last few years have actually felt that it's drifted. And you can actually feel it in the stadium, I think. It's just not quite the same. I mean, it can be for some of the big games, but for quite a lot of the time, it's quite quiet. There's a sort of reserved element to it. I think things may be turning around now. I have to say I'm really excited about the new players coming through now. And um, if we, if Arteta builds on the youngsters coming through, I mean I am an optimist. I'm a you know uh, sort of glass half full. And I think you know when I see Saka and I see Smith Rowe, Martinelli, I I see really brilliant players there. And I just hope that we can turn that corner. But um, it does feel like something has changed at the heart of the club um, over that. Whatever that period—I was going to say twenty years—but it's actually thirty, of course. Unfortunately, it's a bit like my playing days. So, um, but um, yeah, it, it feels like something's happened, and there's—you uh, the, know—there's there, a more, there is a more reserved atmosphere at, Arctic, uh, at, at Arsenal, I think. Um, Do you think
2: Josh mentioned the Cronkies that own the club? And I guess one of the things that's come out of this whole European Super League thing is, is billionaire owners. You know, um, owning clubs like ours and kind of the, the kind of the soullessness of that. Do you think? But do you think the the ESL failure and collapse within like whatever two days is actually? Uh, it's now become an exciting time. Is it to change that? We is this the time to, to to actually stop billionaire
3: owners from doing what they want to do with their football clubs? Well, I hope so. I mean, the first thing I'd say, I completely, agree. what's happened with these owners is the club just becomes a commodity. It becomes something that is just about money. Um, and whether you love the club, the football, etc., cetera, is secondary to how much money you can make out of it. And that is a massive psychological difference in the ownership. I think it's the single biggest thing. Um, of course, you need money in football. But if, you're, if you say that if the club is just a vehicle or a commodity to make money, then you make dark decisions like the decision that was made this week, because all you're thinking about is how do we make the maximum amount of money? And that is the soul bit. That's the head bit. Um, and that, I think, has been corrosive for um, for football. As for this week, I mean, firstly, I'm, I'm genuinely uplifted by the fact that this has all collapsed and so many people spoke out. It was like a... a we, we had a um, a big meeting yesterday with fans, with um, support groups, et cetera, et cetera. We had a lot of... We threw the meeting together as the Labour Party at very short notice and had hundreds of um, supporters groups came on Um, uh, that was before the reversal of decision. But it just was a Zoom meeting. (laughs) Everything's Zoom at the moment. Um, But the numbers just kept building and building. Um, And so was I uplifted by that? Yes. I think what's important now is that we don't say, well, job done. That that proposal's been um, backed off um, and that's the end of it. Because actually, this has been a slippery slope for at least a decade or more. And there's other changes that we've all been talking about for a very long time. And we now need to act on. So better rules on ownership, better rules on the fans, say, in football. And you can look at different models um, as to how that might work. Real investment in grassroots and lower league football. Um, One of the things I've been doing as Labour leader is I go around the country, obviously talking to different communities, different places. I'm in Chester at the moment. I'll be in North Wales tomorrow. I'm Hartlepool the next day, Nottingham the next day. That's the nature of the beast. I love to go to football grounds when I go because I do. I mean, I love football. That's kind of but also the lower league clubs, it's amazing, you know, whether they go to Stevenage or Walsall or Accrington. Um, when you go to these clubs, they are the center of the town or the place there. They've been doing amazing things in the pandemic, actually, many of them. Food parcels, community stuff, supporting kids to continue playing football even during lockdown. Really genuinely community. And they're really struggling because they haven't got the fact they haven't got the backing. They haven't got the, the footfall because the fans aren't. There's nobody coming through the gates, um, even when they had a few fans. Um, we went to Stevenage and they showed us the few fans they could have in. It's just not enough, and even where some of them have got the facilities um, for a bit of conference stuff, they've not been able to use it. They've been really so. The idea of sort of the elite breaking away at the, after the pandemic, when the spirit of the country, in a sense, has been let's let's see whether we can pull together. I think you know. was was really offensive let's use that now if there's the energy there that's been built up this week let's use that to actually put in place some of these other changes that are needed women's football as well Um, and that then you know could reverse this trend and I think put put footballs and fans back at the heart of football I know it sounds a bit romantic but I think that's that's what is the emotion at the heart of this.
2: Have you? I know that the government's launching its—it's its what they're calling its root and branch review, aren't they? I mean, I find it quite surprising that this government is suddenly being egalitarian about football, and you know,
3: you wouldn't expect them to be about anything else. I can't uh, you see <laughs> Boris having a pipe before the game and right. engaging in the banter and getting into a match. Exactly. Um, so th- there's a bit of. Sh- I haven't. I've, I've been to a lot of games. i have not seen him there.
2: Were you surprised that 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 they took that stance so quickly? I mean, it, it kind of you know. About yeah, match, I don't
3: right? think it's. Um, I don't think it's in Boris Johnson's blood, but to be fair, there are um, you know there are Tory MP. I mean, Tracy Crouch and people really you know well respected um, got sport running through their um, blood. Helen Grant um, had a private members' bill that we, the Labour Party, backed. So I, I don't. I mean, Johnson's all 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 talk and no action um, is my general um, proposition, um, and he'll say anything, but. In fairness, there are Tory MPs who genuinely do care about this. And um, what what I was worried about earlier in the week um, when we had our meeting was that um, everybody was talking about a review and that we'd have a review, but it'd take too long and the, the, the Super League would have broken away by the time we got to any conclusions. That was So earlier in the week, I was saying, well, park the review for now. Let's just take the action necessary to stop this because I could see what was going to happen. We'd all have a review for six months, and then by the time we'd concluded that you shouldn't have a breakaway Super League, it would have already gone. Um, Now we're in a different position, so we can have that review. We've been saying for 10 years there should be a fans-led review. The government is broadly in the same place. Actually, if everybody is in the same place, let's do it. Um, What I don't want to happen is everybody to say, well, that proposal's gone. We don't need to worry too much now. Um, Let's concentrate on other things because let's harness that energy and make it into a turning point. We saw fans at Leeds on Monday night demonstrate.
1: We saw fans at Stamford Bridge where there was a game on Tuesday night outside Chelsea. There is an expectation that Arsenal's next game is is Friday, and there will probably be a sizeable um, protest and demonstration at Arsenal. Can can you understand those demonstrations? You you, you know, which are ultimately calling for the Cronkies removal. Do you think there is any hope for? for that that kind of ownership leaving. And what kind of model of ownership would you like to see clubs like Arsenal run by? Uh,
3: I'd like to... Uh, firstly, I completely understand the protests, and they're for real. I mean, these are people coming out to say what they think. And you could see it in the various protests that you saw at Chelsea, that you saw um, at Leeds, et cetera, uh, earlier in the week. And it will be there at Arsenal. And it is about changing the ownership model. Um, I think we need to look at... Um, uh, a model of ownership that does limit the extent to which people can control clubs that allows different influences on clubs. I'm also a, a supporter of an independent regulator. Uh, and I'd like to see the independent regulator have a sort of driving principle, if you like, which was, you know, for the best interests of football, I don't exactly know what the phrase would be, but decisions have to be made in the best interests of the game or something like that as an overriding principle so that when decisions have to be made, um, that independent regulator would say, looking at the various options here, which one is in the best interest of the game of football rather than which is in the best interest of the finance that may be backing it. So I think there's quite a lot of changes we could bring about. But if you introduce that principle, I think it will make a big difference because then you've got a different test for what action is taken. Um, But that's the sort of thing that, you know, we ought to be able to work on if we have a review and then um, we put forward legislation in Parliament. We were going to put forward legislation this week because, um, as I say, Boris Johnson said he was going to do something and I was going to test him by saying, well, in which case, here's here's a piece of legislation we've drafted. Get going. Nothing to stop you. And um, if we say we'll back you, you can't say you won't get it through. Um, but uh, I think we need to seize this moment now to move it forward. 100%.
2: I, uh, but uh,
3: I But I also very strongly think that um, the lower leagues and the, um, the grassroots. We've got to. Berry, I, I, mean, I was out at the last election in Berry canvassing for our candidate up there, very brilliant um, candidate. Um, and, I'd, and every second or third door that we knocked on in Berry and the conversation, you know, what are the issues that matter to it was a football club. Um, and it's gone. Um, Wigan nearly went um, yeah. because of, I'd like to say, foreign investment, but foreign speculation, frankly um so what the model is not just what's the ownership structure for the bigger clubs although that's really important is how do you make sure that those all of the clubs um are properly supported so all of them can survive because if you lose a club i mean you know as well as I you lose a club you lose something massive at Accrington stanley um uh it was clear that that is the only place where the town can come together um, on a Saturday, whatever day it is, have a drink, come together in one place as the town um, and proudly, and there's nowhere else to come together. And so, um, although massive Arsenal fan, season ticket holder, it's the other clubs, in a sense, I'm much more worried about because once they're gone, they're not coming back.
2: I was going to say, because it's interesting, isn't it, about the, this, I think this whole, what, what's happened with the ESL um, Farrago, is that now we're talking about morality in football, aren't we? All of a sudden, which I think a lot of people are pointing out, there's loads of issues in football, aren't there? There's the Qatar World Cup. I mean, there's there's wages, there's um, there's ticket prices, all of these things are now being talked about, which I think is great, isn't it? And, and do you think do you think you know this is a, this could be a turning point where we where we suddenly start addressing all of those issues in football?
3: I think it has to be, and and um, you know. Let's have – there is this phrase, fans-led review, that political parties have bought into. Let's have it. Um, and let, let's, let's – because the, the fans have been disregarded and disrespecting this. Let, let's put that um, – and if the, if, the, if the fans had been asked before this proposal to break away this week, the answer would have been obvious. Uh, the, the idea would have been dead before it started. So – but, you know, let, let's look on the bright side. Let's use this then – um, to have that review and make the changes that are necessary, but from top to bottom to support um, football and the lower league clubs um, and the grassroots football as well.
1: Absolutely. Yeah.
3: Okay. I mean, I'm interested. Like,
1: whenever any of us go abroad or we're dealing with people in a work capacity, we, we talk about football. It's something that brings people together. Is that still true in the in the topic along to politics? Do you find that you are talking with people from around the world? You know, in small talk almost about football and like what pride do we have as a, you know, as senior politicians in the fact that what we've created in English football is revered around the world Well, and how do we protect um,
3: it? Yeah, it, it, you'd be surprised in politics it's talked about a lot, um, uh, whether it's um, in parliament with colleagues, whether it's going around the country. Um, it's a, It's a topic of conversation. People love to talk about football. Um, and, and it is, you know, wherever you go around the country, people want to talk about football, they want to know. But I, I think how, how you, you know, discuss football is a way of just getting a measure of what people are really like. Abroad, people are, you know, if you go abroad, people want to know about our clubs. They're excited that you support Arsenal, whatever. Um, and there is a great pride, and, you know, I'm going to say something that quite a lot of fans don't really get. But when an English club is playing in Europe, I generally speaking want it to win. It's really weird. So, you know, there was that fantastic when, two or three years ago when do you remember Liverpool and then Tottenham on consecutive nights did the almost impossible to get through the Champions League, and I I tweeted something out in support of both of them because I was I mean the football was riveting. But actually, I'm really proud that English clubs are doing well, and I want them to um, do well, and so it's a it's discussion it's about identity but it, it is more i mean as i say the 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 bit about the football when we go to watch football it's not the 90 minutes in the stadium that's the be all and end all it's all of the chat and the banter before and afterwards um i played played five aside actually this monday night with the fellas i always play five side with and that they you know as you can imagine you chuck people together you've got Every, depending on where people were born and brought up, you've got every team under the sun that they support. Um, and, um, you know, there's a lot of banter and discussion. It's, it, it's. I think it's very, it's part of, um, in many respects, part of what we are. It's something we're very proud of. And rightly so.
2: I can understand you um, supporting, just about understanding you supporting Spurs in the European situation, but, but come, you must, you must be happy that they're in, you know, they're in a state of, they're almost in a, in a bad state as we are and they got rid of their
3: manager and they're in a bit of turmoil. Oh, well, really? I have to, I have to <laughs> confess, um, one of the games I went, I went to the last ever game at Highbury. It was a fantastic day. Um, and um, a mate of mine that I actually went to school with um, who's a journalist managed to get us um, tickets in the directors box? First time I've ever been in. First time I saw Ian Wright in the flesh, or, or Wenger in the flesh. A huge, fantastic day. Sunny, uh, you know, brilliant and sad, of course, because leaving the stadium. But it was the night, the night, the night before that that Tottenham had the famous. Um, uh, food poisoning uh, incident. Lasagna, and, yeah, uh, and so my my support from Tottenham only goes so far because yes. that was one of the greatest days. Yes, when we because we w- we really shouldn't have qualified for the Champions League um, then because they should have got the slot. Uh, they they ate the food. They um, had the unfortunate consequences. They lost. We won. Um, and as I say, as I say, my love of uh, English clubs is only when we're knocked out and there's no chance that okay. we've got um, any way forward but Good. um in their other competitions but that 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 was a fantastic day.
2: Just just to talk about your Arsenal fandom then let's let's get let's get into it as much as we as far as we can. Where, so you where do you sit? Where are your season tickets in the the Emirates?
3: We've got season tickets upper stand uh in line with the six yard line um in the Arsenal end. So as we look down on the pitch, um, the six-yard line is directly in front of us. And so we've got a side-on view, if you like, um, kicking into the Arsenal end, which is fantastic. And um, because we've been going there for a number of years, as you, as always happens, we know all the guys that sit around us, all the, all the different families, et cetera, et cetera. And that, that's a great atmosphere. And um, as I say, I usually take my boy, my girl has come as well. And when I took my boy for the first time, um, there was the um, chant that we got a, a, a big, a big uh, fucking German was the chant if you remember. Yeah.
2: Um,
3: but because he, he was only about six or seven, and so like that a con- <laughs> concerned dad, I thought, oh god, I can't expose him to this terrible swearing. So the, the game before I was going to take him, we spoke to everybody who sat around us and said, when the chant comes on, uh, shout at the top of your voice, fuzzy. Um, and so in this right. little bit of the ground, <laughs> we sat there and all around, us, we got a big fuzzy German. And then my boy starts shouting, oh, this is a great shout. <laughs> That's brilliant. Didn't, I mean, um, unfortunately, I think it was a couple of games after that, Mourinho came um, and there was no way of disguising no. the charm no. there. So, no. so, yeah, in line with the six yard box um, and uh, kicking into the Arsenal end, which is fantastic.
2: And you talked about the atmosphere being great. Sorry, just just about to come in um but in the, of course there was the later Wenger years where it all got a bit you know it got a bit spiky didn't it between different factions there was the Wenger out brigade there was Arsenal knows best where were you in that period where were you I you
3: never think? want I I mean I thought Wenger was brilliant and what he brought to Arsenal was just and and therefore I could never bring myself to say Wenger out I just couldn't and and wouldn't but I did realize he had to go in the sense that we we'd got to the end of an era maybe and I just I wanted him to go with dignity, really. I wanted to be able to say thank you. And when I went to the last game, uh Mercy uh, Arson game, and that was fantastic. Um and I wanted him to go with dignity, but I was never part of the finger out. I couldn't do that after what I thought it brought to the, the players he brought through, the fantastic football. I I couldn't turn on him, if you like, no. which is the way I'd have seen it. Um, no, we're, that's that's very good to hear because Boyd and some
1: others got a little bit too frustrated towards the end. But you and I were backing him and, and wanted to see him leave with the right. I never
2: talk. shouted for him to go. Don't, 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 lie to, don't lie to the to the leader of the opposition, Josh.
1: Carry <laughs> on. Um, just keep, I mean, do you find it, uh, you know, relief almost a bit of an escape to go to us? So you work in an incredibly pressured, I imagine, stressful role where you know, do you find it almost a relief just to go and spend a couple of hours with, you know, an Arsenal environment?
3: Hugely. Um, And I think football is, for me, a huge relief. I mean, playing football, for starters, I mean, um, you can't be thinking about anything else when you're playing football. Um, All the guys I play with, um, it's like every game. Nobody gives a stuff what you do for a living. It's whether you're a decent kind of person on the pitch is all that matters. And that Clears out all the politics. Clears for me means I don't have to worry about all the other things I worry about um, all day. And then going to the game again, you're just focused on something else completely, um, and that is really nice. So it's, it is a complete release. And you know, people are talking about football. There's banter and different kinds of. Yeah, everybody's there because they love football, not because they've got political allegiances that um, go beyond that. And that's that is fantastic from my point of view. I love it.
1: I I listened to your Desert Island disc. You you spoke about playing football every week and you said you almost you base your game on a energetic midfielder. I was wondering, is there an Arsenal player? Are we talking Vieira, Ramsey? Who do you base
3: your game on? Well, this is this is every time I answer a question like this. And after the design of this, I get a, a yards of text for all the guys I play football with. So saying, I think I said at one stage, I, I see myself as a box-to-box midfielder. There's all these texts saying, in your head, years ago, <laughs> um, and all the rest of it. So I have to be careful. I mean, Vieira was, you know, who, who, who would I want to be? I, I, you know, Vieira was a you know, fantastic player to, to see. Um, but, um, yeah, an energetic midfielder um, is me. Um, but I, I don't think I could compare myself to Vieira or, or anybody else. But uh, as I say, um, the moment I go down the road of describing how I think I play football, um, it, it, that that then becomes the central source of banter and piss tape for many many weeks to come.
2: But talking of those players, who who is your favourite? Who's your favourite Arsenal
3: player of all time? Would you say I, 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 Thierry Henry? I just love Thierry Henry. I loved the way he played. I loved. There was, I mean, you'll, you'll, like, there was something about him almost sort of hop, went up, um, almost over the ball when he got to the ball. He lifted himself up, became bigger and almost half floating. And I love that. And the goals he scored, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. So for me, Thierry Henry, I have to say, Dennis Bergkamp is a very, very close second. Um, you know, just watching him play live in particular, um, was incredible, you know, to kill a ball with one touch um, and then, you know, to do something else and score a goal or do a brilliant pass. Um, he was brilliant. But it also, I mean, it also reminds me, almost seems another era that, of course, um, Dennis Bergkamp wouldn't travel, if you remember. He wouldn't yeah. go to away games because he didn't yeah. like to fly. I mean, it seems yeah, incredible. weird that that could even be the case um, now. But um, Thierry Henry for me. Yeah. Absolutely. And Thierry, I mean, the... It's still good. I mean, the stuff he's doing on anti-racism on social yeah. media now, I think, is is really great. But I, I just one little anecdote on this that I have to tell you, because it, it just rammed home to me age and um years. Um Robert Perez was obviously fantastic as well. And he still lives, I think, in Hampstead, but he lives quite I'm Kentish Town. He lives in Hampstead. And about two years ago, on a freezing day, I was watching my boy play football down in Kentish Town for his school team. And there were a number of school teams there and they're all, and it's absolutely freezing. Um, and, and then um, uh, Perez is sort of on the touchline watching one of the other games. And I, I couldn't believe it. Um, and it must have been his boy who was playing in one of the teams. And anyway, immediately we finished, I went to my boy and said, That's Perez, it's Pires, look, <laughs> pointing him out. And um, our boy, who's now 12, he must have been about 10 or 9, I said, Who?
2: Oh.
3: And I just thought, you know, because this was yeah. before he was born. Of course. So yeah. for me, it was like yesterday. But for him, it was, God, that's so, I, I wouldn't know um, <laughs> who Robert Pires is. And um, that was just, it was a real, that really, drove home to me how you know time passes and um and so Bobby was great, you know, he was another great player, but there were so many aren't there?
1: Yeah, there are. I think he's gone to live in Ibiza. Actually, I think he's left uh, the world of Belsize oh. Park and Hampstead. So who can blame him for the sunshine? That's oh, maybe it was that there.
3: cold game, and it, was said, oh, <laughs> it, it probably, probably it. tells the story. I was at this freezing game in Kentish yeah. Town, and this local politician started pointing me out, and I thought it's time <laughs> to leave. for Ibiza. Exactly. Um, you
2: just, talked about.
3: I know. Oh, we're, sorry,
2: Josh, Josh. go
3: on. No, I know we're running out of your, your time Kid. Just, just
1: give us your thoughts on. You know, Mikel Arteta's reign, mm. and, and I know we haven't—you probably haven't had much time to be in a stadium, as none of us have while he's been manager. But it's been quite a disappointing season, really, whatever way you you look at it. How do you feel about his reign at the moment, at Arsenal? Yeah,
3: I mean, firstly, we haven't been in the ground, so that is really frustrating. Um, but, but, um, the last game I went to see was New Year's Day in 2019, because I then did the leadership race for Labour Party, so that took me around the country, and I and then lockdown and all the rest of it. Um, look, on Arteta, I want to give the guy a chance. I think he's trying to create a team, um, and I like some of what I'm seeing there, and I want to, And I don't believe in this business of, you know, three or four bad games, and then you just sack the manager, then get another one and do the same over and over again. don't think that's going to work. It has been up and down this season. You know, there's times I thought, right, we've really turned the corner, this is it, only to then be battered again, um, <laughs> And, and, you know, this is the the, the life of a fan, I suppose. But what I am genuinely, I mean, in Saka and Smith-Rowe and Martinelli and and Tierney, in some of those players, and and I I know I'm looking through Rose tinted specs, I really see something special. I mean, Saka the other night um, was just fantastic. Um, And if we can build around that, and I know every fan always says this: build around that nucleus. But build around the nucleus of the younger players as they come through. Um, I, I, I say stick with Arteta. Let's build on that. Um, let's not go down the route saying bad set sort of results. Let's start again. Because I think uh, I, I actually think clubs are too quick to do that these days. Um, I'd like to I'd like to see that turn around. But we've got a long way to go. I mean, you know, when you're when you're fighting to stay at the top half of this table. Um, then you know things have slipped a long, long way from the invincibles.
2: And, and even though his record after like m- just about
3: more than fifty games is worse than Unai Emory, do, do you think he's better? Is a better manager than Unai Emery? I do because yeah. I, I think the way he's building the players and the way he's playing when they play well, they're playing brilliant football. Yeah. Um, and yeah. he's he's building on the right players, um, and um, and I like that, and I want yeah. and I want to give him the chance to succeed.
2: Yeah, I agree. That, 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 I agree. that young, the young, that young generation of players—that's what's made this season brilliant for us, isn't it? Really. It, it, apart for everything else, those players, Emil Smith Rowe, as you said, all those players that are what's exciting. Kier, we, Kia, um, we in this there are loads of Arsenal podcasts out there. I don't know if you know, but we we are the only one where we insist on predicting the results of every single game, every season. So Arsenal are playing Everton at home on Friday, eight o'clock. What is your prediction of what's going to happen in that game?
3: I'm going to put us down for a 2-1 win. I nice. don't think we'll keep a clean sheet. Um, but I think uh, uh, Everton, they're a bit up and down as well, mm. um, obviously. So I'm going to go for 2-1 to us.
2: Like it. Josh, what's your
3: prediction for that game? Oh, we've done the this. I think we all predicted 2-1, <laughs> yeah.
2: yeah, because we did have a podcast on Monday as well, to be fair.
3: Yeah, that's but, so two one. I reckon um, the last I, 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 with our boy. I when we had the Prague game when a week ago or so, um we were betting and it and it went for five nil. Um, and I thought that was, and then we ended up winning 4 0, which is fantastic. But then, then then, we go and draw with Fulham in the 97th minute. So, you know, doesn't that just sum up our season?
2: Yeah, that does sum up our season. Um, that's brilliant. Thank you so much. We've had, I mean, you, you're an Arsenal supporter, the previous
3: Labour leader was an Arsenal supporter. the Speaker was an Arsenal It's a supporter. new rule we've got in the Labour right. Party, you know. Um, yeah. You, you can only be leader of the Labour Party if you're an Arsenal supporter. We, you see, we talk about a fans-led review. We reviewed the Labour Party. We put in that new rule. Most people haven't quite spotted it yet, but you have to be an Arsenal supporter to lead the Labour Party.
2: That is the best rule you could possibly have, um, <laughs> Thanks so much for joining us on this uh, Arsenal awesome podcast um, and uh, uh, good luck. And pl- please, let's please um, beat the Conservatives in the next election, etc. Um That's just my um, view. Come Lovely on, to see you. Thanks. Well, that was um, great to have uh, Keir Starmer with us. Um, and But, Josh, you and I will stay on to have a post-mortem discussion and, and to update our thoughts on, on the bloody um, failed Super League uh, after a podcast early in the week.
0: If you want an e-bike that doesn't look like it's made for the shopping precinct... Check them out now on the web at cooler.bike or find them on Instagram with hashtag CoolerKingBike. Cooler.bike, e-bikes that are cool AF. Well,
2: that was that was fun, wasn't it, Josh, to have uh, kiss on. I thought he was good, good value. <laughs> and I think he was real. Like, I think the thing about people are going to say, right... People are going to say, when we put this podcast out, oh, you know, it's a part of a PR exercise, it, which, who knows, whatever. But I think it's good to get a, a politician on who actually is clearly properly a fan of Arsenal. And unlike, you know, when David Cameron got confused with the Aston Villa and West Ham, you know, and, and all that. And clearly, Boris Johnson doesn't know the first thing about football. Um, I, think he, I think he's a proper fan. So I, I, I'm really glad we brought him on.
1: No, well done, Boyd. Your, uh, your your important connections in the world <laughs> of media and politics came through. If only I had some of them. I need to go look for some. Absolutely. No, you got you've got more than enough connections. You're fine. Um, but I mean, it's funny, isn't it? I mean, forty eight hours on from doing the podcast, and it feels like a, a different world. I mean, I, on Monday, I was genuinely worried. This is this is this is all going to happen, and. Suddenly, you know, I wonder if in a couple of years' time, well, I'll remember those crazy two days when we were worried about, you know, Arsenal entering some sort of Super League, and I don't know. But then, oh, the, the tends- question is, Lloyd, is the damage done? You know, it, 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 you know, how... Or is it that the owners know they're hated, and they, I think they, they went for this, it didn't work, but they don't really care. I
2: know? think they live in such a bubble. They probably did. I think they probably live in... Our owners in particular... I think they live in such a bubble, literally almost literally not literally a bubble that's ridiculous, but almost literally you know in their own world, you know thousands of miles away um and and, and I think they' probably do themselves that fans don't get that angry about this kind of thing maybe, and we just kind of deal with it and I think I think this is a reckoning i do I really do I think it's a it's a um it's a moment where and when they see the demonstrations on Friday, you know, before the match, and when they see this, I, I think they've been shocked. And but I think this the statement that like, it was quite a grovelling statement, apologising, wasn't it, by the club from the board? Not something interesting, not signed by Stan Kroenke, obviously. It, but um, but you know, I, I think it was just it's a moment. This is a crucial moment, as we were kind of alluding to when we we're talking to Keir Starmer, where if, if we really push for it, and if fans do demonstrate, and if everyone points out how outrageous it is that we've got a multi-billionaire owner who is basically trying desperately somehow to make money, and this was his one of his last ways of doing it, was the European Super League. Maybe they'll go. I live, I live in absolute hope that they'll go. And I think that I think we've got one of the worst of all of these billionaire owners. Because at least the other guys, I kind of wanted to ask you this, we didn't have time. Um, but, you know, at least like Chelsea and Man City fans have had multi, multi-billionaire owners who've spent... Literally billions on their clubs. We don't even have that. We've got multiple in our own. It doesn't even fuck spend anything on Arsenal. It's like the worst of all worlds. So I think he might, they might get frustrated and furious. That, and I think they they realise. I, I think our, I think Kronke was probably more keen on this thing than almost anyone else because this was a way to get to finally make money out of Arsenal. Let's face it, he's not making money out of us really, has he? So, and I think this going could lead to why? Why would he stay? What's what's in it for him?
1: Well, I, I I like to think that I don't know how many Arsenal fans are going to go and demonstrate and be able to be there, and I like to think it will make a difference. But um, I'm I'm not totally convinced. I think this was a a play to be involved. They will hide behind the excuse of you know with the the train was leaving and we couldn't afford to you know be left behind, which is a Line that's been rolled out by Man City, by Chelsea, I think it's clear that we were not the instigators. I think that that has been apportioned and and seems to be true that that all came from Manchester United and the fact that Edward Wood has kind of died on his sword of of this tournament is is probably proof of that. But yeah, I mean, if there was very little hope of a a better future between fan and owner, I think that is, is probably out the window for some considerable time. So I guess we should be at least, if there is a the smallest granule of positivity, it was in the fact that there was an apology, which which wasn't there in some of the other club statements. There was, you know, I mean, the Liverpool statement, the man, you know, it was just a yeah, few paragraphs of factual, then, right? As if you were announcing an under twenty-three player going out yeah. on loan. It was, but funnily you enough, know, you know, at Arsenal, there was a bit of contrition, yeah. maybe.
2: Groveling. But you know John Henry had to do a video today because of that. That was quite funny. Like they, they kind of realised that that was moronic to, to, to not even apologise, really. So then that, I mean, this whole thing, it is absolute farce. And I think, you know, I think to see billionaire owners humiliated like this is extremely, I mean, you know, it's gone from, as you said, I think in the beginning of the podcast, it's gone from the stress and distress of of Sunday night, Monday, feeling that our game's about to be ruined by these idiots, to... I think they've lost a lot of power. I think there was a real genuine power and a lot of kind of almost symbolic power. We'll see. Anyway.
1: Well, absolutely. You're right because who who did they? There was no one. There was no one back in this, was there? I mean, you lost the supporters. You lost the pundits, the former players, the the players themselves coming out against this. And I think as soon as you had Jurgen Klopp do his interview key. on Monday night. Yeah, huge. In kind of sense, hang on a minute. How can it really be the manager of Liverpool Football Club who's not in on, aware of this and doesn't back it and the players aren't backing it? And then I, and as I as think,
2: obviously... I agree. And I think, I, do you know what? I, it pains me to say it, but I think those Chelsea fans that demonstrated a key to have that on TV, they were, you know, was, was I think so. I have to give them credit. And they, they stopped the coach. They delayed the start kickoff. That meant, uh, almost that meant you had more of Gary Neville and Jamie Carragher. On Monday Night Football, who were also brilliant. I, th- I think there all. Co- I think it all contributed to it. I think the Chelsea fans. I think particularly Gary Neville. I think the um, you, you know what you, all of that and um, and Klopp for sure, absolute massive, yeah. And um, Jordan and Henderson as well. Putting it, so all of those things cumulatively and all the Arsenal fan groups. Of course, you know, credit to Arsenal Supporters Trust and all the Arsenal fan groups, um, Black Scarf and mean said all of them for. Um, being for showing the fury about it, yeah. But I think I think it is, and I because on Monday on on our podcast on Monday I was saying, you know, I was kind of get can the fans do anything, but I think I've been proven wrong. I think the fan, I think it has been fans can, you know, have changed things. I think it's I think yeah. it's a pretty momentous moment.
1: Yeah, in some ways that is the positive, as you've just alluded, that we have gone from a position where there is an element of fan power that has been proven that maybe people needed to 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 see something like this be overturned to reaffirm the importance fans play. And, you know, uh, much as these owners wanted to see this through, it won't go through the history and tradition of Arsenal being like a top flight club and being the longest team. You know, all these things do remain. So that is the, the huge positive. And I think I was also a little bit anxious that the negativity was almost going to go on to the players. And I think that's what maybe Petr Cech was trying to say. Oh yeah. That was fun. Had to confront the fans, even though you you could argue there's a bigger picture here than, you know, it doesn't matter if we draw against Brighton. That I think was a feeling genuinely from the Chelsea fans. There's a, there's something more important here and, and that is to be commended. So, you know, there, there have been positive, there's a positive feel to it now in a most bizarre way. And, I don't know. I mean, we still might be back in the stadium in a month, right? Because it's supposed to be that the final game of the season yeah. can have fans. So, you know, who knows? Maybe in four weeks, we'll you know be there and you know feel a bit of of happiness that we've you know sat back in our seats that we feel we belong to.
2: Yeah, I can't wait. Yeah, Absolutely, yeah. Great. Um, it's been uh, it's been fun to do a second
1: podcast in a week, and um, uh, there we go. And as I said absolutely. before, absolutely well. <laughs> Exactly, we will be back and uh, hopefully, having got a strong result against Everton, and then we we can start worrying about our European semi-final, which will mean something because if we we've, we've we'll go to a Champions League. So, 100%. what a difference in a few days, mate! Absolutely brilliant. But no, uh, well done, Boyd, on getting here. Fantastic, and uh, look forward to next week. Thank you very much.
2: Yeah, look forward to next week. Bye. This is a Playback Media production. To listen to all our football podcasts, visit PlaybackMedia.co.uk.
1: 18 plus.